Take your Bibles and turn to Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6. One verse. If there is anything that we know in this life, it is change. We change. I, I thought about putting a picture of myself up on the screen from high school as evidence of drastic change. You would not have known that skinny uh, young man with a lot of hair, uh, thick hair, and a big Adam's apple. It's covered up now by other things. But, uh, you know, we know change. I mean, the seasons change. And we anticipate that. We expect that. The, the moon waxes and wanes, and the stars move position in the sky, and and, and we change in relationships, culture and, and mores change, uh, not to the, their good, but to their detriment many times. But, but one thing that we know in this life and in this world is that change is a reality. The scripture tells us that that is one thing that God knows nothing of. He does not change. As a matter of fact, Malachi in this verse that I read to start the sermon last Sunday, but I, I, I want to go back to today, is a very simple verse, but a very direct verse and a very important verse for us to consider as Christians living in the 21st century who know so much of change. I mean, let's face it, churches have changed in the way they do ministry, in the way they do things, and some is good and some is perhaps not so good. But change is a, is a real part of our everyday experience. Hear what Malachi says in, in, in quoting God in verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O sons of Jacob, you are not consumed. It seems to me that what Malachi is wanting us to see here, that it is the character of the unchangeableness of God that means that we are safe if we are in Him and in a covenant relationship with Him, as was Jacob. It seems that what God is saying here is that, listen, it is my unchangeability in the, in the midst of all sorts of change around you in the world in which you live that should give you comfort and should give you security and should give you some hope for the future even when you're struggling, even when you're going through most, the most difficult times. When troubles are, are come upon us in such big ways, when it seems like that we carry around regrets, a burden, as as one writer said, like buckets in every area of life, those buckets and those troubles will shrink as though it were in just a thimble when we consider God, when we consider who He is, when we consider His character in contrast with our character, we consider the greatness of the God that we serve and the God who has called us. God is perpetually the same, according to Scripture. He doesn't need to get any better. He doesn't get any worse. He doesn't wake up one morning and say, you know, I think today is a day that I need to, I need to do better. Because everything He has done has been done in perfection and in, in, in light of His own character 
and his own life in every single sense of the word. As a matter of fact, what what God is today, he's always been. And and what God is today, he will always be. Uh, Brother Scott read the passage there out of James' little epistle where he said, listen, with with him, in him there is neither shadow nor, nor shifting. There is no turning. There is no changing. With the Father of lights, there is absolute and total consistency. And for that, we can be grateful. We can be thankful to God that there is no change in him. He is immutable. He's in a state that is eternal, and he is eternal, and that is the measure of the state of existence in which he lives. We sang about that this morning. We sang about him being great in his faithfulness. We sang about him being an everlasting God. Each of these songs pointed us to that great characteristic and that great character quality that our God is a God who does not change. If he changed, we <laughs> we would really be in trouble. If he changed, we would have no certainty in this life as believers in Jesus Christ. We would hope, as the world hopes, that maybe things will work out okay, but we'd have absolutely no assurance of that. In his his divine perfections, God remains the same. There's a lot of ways we could look at that. I want to read you something. I should have printed this out because the print's very small, but I think I can read it. You know, one of my great heroes of the faith is, is Charles Haddon Spurgeon, pastored in London, England at First Park Street uh, Pulpit and the Metropolitan Tabernacle for, for the whole years of his ministry. It's all he ever, the only place he ever served uh, for the most part. And, and when he was just a young man, barely 20 years old, he preached his first sermon at New Park Street Pulpit. And, and the sermon that he preached there was based on this one verse. That was his very first sermon. And I love how he began that sermon. He said, It has been said by some that the proper study of mankind is man. He said, I won't oppose the idea, but I believe it is equally true that the proper study of God's elect is God. The proper study of a Christian is the Godhead. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls his Father, who we call our Father. I wish I said things like that, so clear and so certain. Wish those were the first words I'd ever preached from this pulpit at, at Grace Baptist Church. And Spurgeon goes on to say, you know, it's the, it's the most humbling matter for the human mind to think on the character and the nature and the being of God. But at the same time of being the most humbling thing, it is also the most expanding thing that we can ever think about. Hymn writers through the centuries, and we'll quote several of them today, have concentrated on, in their writings, the character of God and His unchangeableness in His being. And that's where we start. We start with His being, that God is the same in His being. I've already quoted Spurgeon there. Stephen Charnock, the great Puritan divine, he started his work on the existence and the attributes of God by thinking about the unchangeableness, the immutability of God. A.W. Pink and his great little book, that if you've never read, 
You ought to pick it up or just download it off the internet. It's free. A.W. Pink's book on the attributes of God, it begins there, not in the very first chapter. The very first chapter talks about his existence, but then he moves right into his immutability, his unchangeableness, because that is such a, a glorious thing about who God is. God today is the same he's always been. God today is the same as he always will be. There will never come a time when he will cease to be who he is right now. And that's important to us because that's the only way that he is God. If he's changeable, if he's capricious, if he's fickle like we are, then, then we're in trouble because our God would be a God who goes not from good to better, but from good to worse in everything that he is. But he is perfect in everything that he is. He's totally unaffected in his being by things taking place outside of himself. You may recall that there was a time when some angels in heaven rebelled. They rebelled against God and they said, we want to put you off the throne and we want to rule alongside of you. We want to, we want to have more authority, we want to have power. And, and they fell from heaven. When that happened, God didn't wring his hands and, and beat his chest and, and worry about what was taking place. He, he didn't look, the Father didn't look at the Son and say, oh man, we've got to learn from this and we've got to, make, we've got to take steps to make sure this never happens again. It didn't affect his being whatsoever. It was nothing like that. The psalmist said the plans of the Lord are, stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart are throughout all generations. There are no temporary changes with God. We sang about he's a God who doesn't sleep or slumber. He doesn't grow tired. He, he doesn't decide one day, you know, I've just got to let things go today. I've got to take a vacation. I've got to get some rest like you and I do. There comes a time at a point in every day that we say, I just can't press on any further. I've got to slow down. I've got to stop. I've got to go to sleep. That, that doesn't happen with God. There's no changing, even temporarily. Here's a good thing, too. God doesn't feel like he has to keep up with the times. The times need to keep up with him. Now, I realize we live in a day where we want to talk about, uh, you know, want to talk about being relative and, and, and being relevant within the church and and a lot of churches say, oh, man, we gotta, we got we to gotta change the message. we got to change the approach. we got to change this and change that because we've just got to be relevant to the culture around us. No, we don't change anything about the gospel or about God's character to make him relevant. He is the most relevant person in all the world and ever will be. We need to understand that. We need to believe that. I remember the words of Isaiah. When Isaiah said in Isaiah 46, he said, Remember this and be assured speaks with, with, with great authority and with great command. Remember this and be assured. Recall it to mind, you sinners, you transgressors. Remember the former things of long past, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from, from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my purpose is well will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country. Truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it, surely I will do it, says the Lord God. What a, what a magnificent statement. What a glorious expression of his unchangeableness and his omnipotence to accomplish 
whatever he wants. But I like where it says there, remember the former things of the past. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. I thought about that yesterday. Uh, uh, Hannah and Leisha Garland are over in Taiwan right now. They, they sent a couple of pictures back and and one was them standing in front of a, a temple, and they, they had watched the people go into this, this Buddhist temple, taking in food and offerings and, and praying prayers to, to, a, to, a, to a God that's made by hands, that has no power, no ears, they can't, it can't speak, it can't hear, it can't do anything, and yet they, they go in and they pour out their, their goods to this false God. God says, I want you to know, I'm not like that. I'm not a God like any other God. There is none like me who is unchangeable and omnipotent and all-powerful in everything that I do and everything that I say. Or Job, when he said in Job 23, 13, he said, but he is unique. (laughs) Talk about understatement. You know, we talk about things being unique in our world. Well, that was a unique situation, or that he, he's a unique person. Listen, when, when Job says God is unique, he's not comparing him to anything we know or anything we can even imagine. He's saying God is like no other. He is unique, and who can turn him? Who can move him? Who can affect him? And what his soul desires, that is what he does. God who does not change. But let me kind of crystallize that for you for just a minute. Let me, let, let's think about that in, the nature, in looking at the nature of Christ. Because we know and we believe the Scripture teaches clearly that Christ is God come in the flesh. That is Christ who has come and God dwelt among us in the Son of God, clothed in flesh and blood. But He didn't change anything whatsoever in His deity when He came. He didn't give up his deity and say, okay, now I'll stop being God and I'll now become a man. But he took on human nature. He took on flesh and blood and lived among us, but he was the perfect God-man. Not half God, not half man, not giving up God and becoming man, but he took on human nature and became the God-man. 100% God, 100% man who never changes. That point 2,000 years ago, he added, he added to his divine nature, human nature, but he did not give up who he is. The essence of all that God is remained the same. He could not change. The writer of Hebrews said that, talking about Jesus. He said, Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, everlasting. He's the same yesterday that he was when he walked on the face of the earth and as he was when he was in his pre-incarnate existence state with the Father. He is the same in the past. He is the same today in 2015 and he'll be the same forever, forever because he does not change. He does not change in his being, in his nature. Secondly, he doesn't change in his attributes. Whatever the perfections of God are, whether we, we read about the holiness of God, we talked about the omnipotence of God, the, the omnipresence of God, whatever his attributes are, he does not change. Think about it for a minute. Was God wise when he, when he constituted and created all that there is, the cosmos? Was he wise when he placed the sun in the middle of our solar system? 
Was he wise when he planned for the earth to be at exactly the needed space from the sun, rotating and spinning as it does on its axis and rotating around the sun as it does in order to give us the seasons and give us what we need and keep us from freezing or keep us from burning up? When he did all of that, was he wise? Was he wise when he created the plants and created man? Was he wise when he designed the atom, the smallest thing that we can even think about, although there are parts of it that go even smaller, but we think about the atom and all living things just as he made them. Was he wise when he sent his son into the world to be the holy lamb of God, to go to the cross as a divine sacrifice and as a divine substitute for you and me? Yes, he was wise in all of that, and he remains wise today in the application of all that he's ever done in your life and my life. He does not change in his wisdom. And that's why James in his little book says, do you lack wisdom as a believer? Do you lack wisdom in the circumstances you find yourself in every day? Then, then, then go to him, ask him, for he is the one who gives wisdom out of his wisdom. He is wise. Was he just when our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned in the garden? And rebelled against him? Was he just while waiting the 120 years during the time of Noah before he sent the flood? Was he just when he considered Sodom and Gomorrah? Was he just when Pharaoh continued to say no and no and he brought the plagues upon on, on, on Egypt? He was just in all that he did. Was he just when his, hung, sunk, uh, his son hung up on the cross? receiving on himself your sin and my sin, the sins of all who believe, when he hung upon the tree and was bruised and beaten and cursed for us. He was just and he was holy in the past, and he's just and he's holy today and always will be. Was God good? When he clothed Adam and Eve after their rebellion and after their sin, made skins of animals and clothed them, was he good when he, when he forgave King David of, of his lustfulness and adultery and even murder? Was the Lord good when he, when he recommissioned Peter after only 50 days after Peter had stood by a fire and said to a maidservant, I don't know who that man is. I don't know who Jesus is. And later, by the seaside, he said, Peter, go and feed my sheep if you love me. If you love me, Peter, go and tend my lambs. He recommissioned him to ministry. Was God good in doing that? The everlasting father does not become an everlasting tyrant. He is a God who cares and who is good. Was God love? When he first made a covenant with a, with a group of people who were sinners in, in Abram's day and yet made covenant with them and called them to be obedient. And think about it, Abram obeyed God and he didn't have anything to check it by. We've got something to check what we believe the, the, the movements of God are. We've got his word to speak And we can test everything against this to say, is it of God or is it not of God? Was he he a God of love when he made those covenants? Was he a God of love when he sent his son to the cross? Absolutely. He shall ever be a God of love. You can take any attribute you want to of God. 
his love, his holiness, his omnipotence, his unchangeableness, any attribute of God that you want to, you can take that. And, and as, as Spurgeon once said, you can write across it, Simpir Edom, always the same. Simper Edom, unchanging, never changing, always the same. He's also the same in his plans. You know, we change plans all the time. We cancel reservations because something comes up. We can't do what we want to do. We plan to go somewhere and we decide we can't. We'll go somewhere else or, or we just stay home. I mean, we're, we're changing our plans and our purposes, it seems like, constantly. But his plans and his purposes never change. The psalmist said in Psalm thirty-three, eleven, for the counsel of the Lord stands forever. We can always read the Bible and find the counsel of God. It speaks of the counsel of God. It doesn't speak of the counsels of God. It doesn't speak as though they're plural, as though they can, can change and get one today and another tomorrow and, and think about this in those terms. No, the counsel of God, the Scripture says, stands forever. God, God never has a reason to change His will about anything. The Lord will never declare Himself to be God of repentant sinners, the Son of David, and, and Jesus, his only son, who is our sacrifice, he'll, he'll never declare it to be anything other than that. And we can be glad for that. We sing a hymn around here entitled, Before the Throne of God Above. You, you sing that. We, we sing it and think it was written yesterday, or at least in the last few years. It was actually written in 1863. And, and it says, My name from the palm of his hands, eternity will not erase. Impressed on his heart, my name remains in marks of indelible grace. I love that statement by the psalmist who simply says, understand this and don't forget this. If you are in Christ, you are secure purely on the basis of the fact that God is not capricious and doesn't change his plans. Doesn't say, well, you know, Today, you've got to be saved by faith in Christ. Maybe tomorrow, it's by offering a sacrifice on an altar somewhere. He doesn't do that. His plans never change. Some theologians have grumbled and said, well, God's not a very free God then. If there's no liberty. There's no freedom in God if, if, because we consider the ability to choose and the ability to change as the height of freedom. But when you're perfect, when you're perfect, when there's no flaw, when there's no error, when there is no, when there's nothing lacking, you don't need to be able to change in order to be free. Matter of fact, it, it, it may be that way for us, but that's just mainly because we're so stubborn in our folly and so stubborn. In, in what we want and so fickle in what we want that in order to be free we have to be able to change, right? But it's because we're not Him. And in so many ways we're not like Him. He's the same in His promises. Same in His promises. The Bible speaks of the exceeding great and precious promises of God. If we found out one day that 
one of his promises was suspect, we would have to question all the others. Now, that's the problem in our day with the people to say, well, I'll, I'll accept part of the Bible is inerrant. I'll accept part of the Bible is God's word, but, but, but I can't accept it all. I mean, you know, there's some parts that I just have to question. Well, if you question one, you question them all. If we ever thought that God could alter some of the words of his promise, some of the words of his truth, if God ever altered his view toward what he has written to us, then, then goodbye to Scripture. Goodbye to this book that we believe is so important. Another hymn writer, again, that we kind of think is a contemporary hymn probably. It was written by Augustus Toplady in the 1700s. A debtor to mercy alone has the phrase in it, His promise is yes and amen, and never was forfeited yet. Things future, nor things that are now, nor all things below or above can make him his purpose forego or sever my soul from his love. Top lady in, in writing those words was just reflecting, I, the Lord, do not change. I don't change in my character. I don't change in my attributes. I don't change in my purpose and my plans, and I'm working all things toward bringing my purpose to its proper culmination at the end of time. In Christ and for His glory. Now, and I know some will say, well, wait a minute, aren't there places in the Scripture where it says God changed His mind? Aren't there places where it says even, the King James used the word repent, God repented as though He had sin He needed to repent of. Man needs to repent, but there is, the, there is the thing there. It says God created man and said it was good, and then a little later he said, oh man, after the fall, it, it's not so good. Man has rebelled. Man has sinned. Doesn't that mean that God changed his mind? We think of Jonah. I mean, Jonah, God went to a lot of effort to get Jonah to Nineveh. You remember the story? Jonah was told by God, I want you to go to Nineveh, that evil place. They hate my people. They're, they're, they're a sinful place. I want you to go and declare my word to them. And Jonah said, oh, Nineveh? Of course, I'm going to go that way. God used a storm, and God used a fish, and God used a lot of stuff to get Jonah's attention in order to get him from running back to Nineveh. And he said, I'm going to destroy them because they're an evil people. They're a horrible people. And, and they rebel against me and they hate my people. And I'm going to bring judgment on them. And, and Jonah kind of thought, well, that's not so bad. Then he went and preached. And, and the people of Nineveh repented. They tore their clothes and they repented before God of their sin. And, and they sought God's face and sought his forgiveness. And God forgave them and didn't destroy them. And Jonah said, what? I thought you were going to destroy him, God. Why did you change your mind? He didn't change his mind. He, he lived in, in pure light of his character. I mean, he said all through his word that if you pursue me, if you seek me, if you repent of your sin and turn to me, then you'll be forgiven. That's exactly what happened at Nineveh. He was living in constant light of his character now, there are things about god that changes his relationship with you changed 
when he gave you life. Paul says that we were once enemies of God, living as it were in our rebellion and our sin, and now we have been forgiven and made friends with God. We, we once were alienated and not inside the covenant of God, and now because of faith in Jesus Christ, he has moved us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He's moved us from those who had no God, knew no God, and had no forgiveness to be adopted as his glorious, loved children, and he's become our father. So there are things in relationships with God that change, but let me tell you, God doesn't change. We change and that relationship changes by his grace and for his glory. In other words, God's immutability, his unchangeableness is God's utter consistency. He says utter consistency. Let me tell you, I can be real inconsistent. I can be inconsistent in my prayer and my Bible study. I can be inconsistent in my dealing with you. You can probably find things if you really dig hard. Well, you probably won't have to dig that hard. Or you can say, Bill, you did this for one person. You didn't do it for the same for the other person. Or, 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 Bill, you said this one day and you said this another day. Not intending to deceive or intending to lie, but I, that's just part of human nature that I'm still struggling with and some inconsistency. But before you get, uh, before, I almost use a phrase I don't want to use. Before you think more highly of yourself than you ought to, you're the same way. You're the same way. God's not. And, and he says in this verse out of Malachi, he says, I'm the Lord, I, the Lord your God, do not change. Here's the promise. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. The, the sons of Jacob, the descendants of Jacob, are, are, are you a descendant of Jacob? You, you may say, well, I'm not Jewish, I'm Gentile. But in the new covenant, you are grafted into the covenant relationship with God as sons of Abraham, Paul says in, in, in Romans, and, and as such, sons of Jacob. It's easy to see what, what God is talking about here when he talks to these in Malachi's day as sons of Jacob. He made it clear back in verse 2 of chapter 1 in Malachi that, that Jacob was an elect son of God. He said, listen, I have loved you, says the Lord. You say, how have you loved us? Was not Esau's Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but I have hated Esau. I mean, Jacob was placed in a covenant relationship with God, and he made it clear. Someone prayed in, in prayer meeting a couple of weeks ago, and it was, I was so moved by it because they said, Lord, thank you for saving us and calling us before the foundation of the world in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just quoting Paul in, in Ephesians 1, Jacob was placed in a covenant relationship with God. That's wonderful. If you're in Christ today, you're there because you've been placed in a covenant relationship. Paul said, we were all sinners, we were all in rebellion, but God, being rich in mercy, has made us alive to himself in Christ Jesus. But God did the work on the basis of his consistency and his character. Jacob had great privileges. 
by virtue of being in the covenant. You and I have great privileges by being in the family of God, adopted into his covenant family, his covenant relationship. We've been given a new status, divine blessing. Paul says we've been blessed in Ephesians 1 with with all blessings in the heavenly places. We have a settled birthright. We are joint heirs with Christ, just as the descendants of Jacob had been. The sons of God will not be destroyed. Jacob had some special trials. Matter of fact, Jacob was not a perfect man. He was a deceiver. He lied. Say he stole. He did a lot of things in that covenant relationship that were not honoring to God and not pleasing to God, and yet God did not break his covenant relationship with Jacob. You and I, in covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ our Lord, we don't we don't live perfectly. We still sin. We ought to hate our sin. The Holy Spirit will bring conviction and call us to repentance when we do sin. But thanks be to God, He does not change. And so He doesn't say, well, you had the covenant, you had the promise last week, you sinned this week, you're out next week. doesn't do that. It says if you're in Him, He does not change. Jacob was a man of prayer. He wrestled with God at one point. And, and God prevailed. God won. But Jacob was persistent for the blessing of God. He desired it more than he desired his own life. I ask you today, are you in a covenant relationship with God? Then I want you to know... That doesn't excuse your sin. That doesn't mean your sin's not serious. That doesn't mean that you ought not deal with it before God. But it does mean that, God, it does mean that God's not going to cast you out. He's going to deal with you as a son. The writer of Hebrews says he's going to deal with you by disciplining you. For what son that he loves does he not discipline? If you love your son or love your daughter and, and they disobey, you discipline them. Not because you hate them, not because you want to throw them out of your family. Maybe tempting at times, but you don't want to do that. You, you discipline them for one reason, because you're in a love relationship with them. And God disciplines us because we're in a love relationship with Him. So God's unchangeableness is a great security and assurance and comfort to everyone who's in Christ. And it has got to be the most horrifying, terrifying, terrible news to those who are not. Because just as God's love never changes, His holiness never changes, His justice never changes, His grace never changes, his covenant never changes. So does his wrath never change. His wrath is, is, is in place. It is a reality. And, and Paul said in, again to the Romans, he said, and God's wrath is poured out against all un, unrighteousness and all ungodliness on everyone and everything that's not in Christ. So while it's a great security and great comfort to me, 
And I hope to you, if you're here this morning, you're not in Christ. There is no comfort in his unchangeableness. There is only fearfulness. I think that's a part of the reason the, the, the psalmist and, the, and, and Solomon in Proverbs said, listen, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. The beginning of knowledge is the fear of God. Because you realize, you see, you understand that he doesn't change. And because he doesn't change, he's not going to say, oh, but I, you know, your, your circumstance, your situation is different you're a really good person for the most part. Forget coming to Christ. Forget confessing sin and repenting of sin. You're going to be all right. No. The immutability of God is really great. And just this week, even as I worked on this sermon, just just thought about it every day. Set aside some time, not even in sermon prep, but just to meditate on and think about the immutability, the unchangeableness, the glory of God. Just thrill my soul. And made me cry out, thank you, Father, that me with all my strangeness and all my stumbles and all my fumbles and all my sins, You don't give up on me. The Apostle Paul said to the Philippian Christians, For I know this, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it. And my only hope is in the fact that Christ began a work in me. He began a work in me in 1970, years and years ago, before many of you were born. But he began a work in me, and while I am not perfect yet, I am not going to be perfect as long as I keep living and breathing in this body, but I know that he does not give up. He continually is at work shaping me into who I am ultimately going to be. John Newton said, I'm I'm not not all I should be, but thanks be to God's grace, I'm not what I was. Years ago, some popular speaker made these little buttons with letters on it. I, don't remember, I can't say the letters in order, but the, the essence of it was, please be patient with me. God's not finished with me yet. But that's the good news. He's not finished, but he's not stopping working either. And let me just ask you this morning. Does the immutability of God bring great comfort to you? The unchangeableness of God bring great comfort to you and joy to you and security to you? Or does it strike fear in your heart? Or maybe there's a third option. It's not a security. It doesn't strike fear. It's just, eh. Maybe it think it's no big deal maybe you think it's just not important let me say this to you who might say eh consideration of the character and the nature of God as revealed in Jesus Christ and his ultimate gift on the cross 
is the most important, most significant thing you will ever consider. And as a believer, the immutability of God, the consistency and the constancy of God is the most important thing you will ever meditate upon. Because it will make those pressures and problems of life shrink to almost nothing. It will cause those things that seem so great and horrible and scary in this world, you know that our God has already defeated them. And He's in charge. He's in charge of your life. He's in charge of your present. He's in charge of your future. And he's in charge of your eternity. It doesn't make me lazy, but it does humble me. It, it doesn't make me careless. It expands my understanding of who he is and it expands my mind, but it brings me humbly before the cross of Christ over and over and over again. Recognizing that grace is not just that which saved me back in 1970. 45 years ago. But that grace is what I stand in today. And the grace that saved me then is the same grace today that gives me strength for walking, that gives me the strength to face whatever life throws at me. Because I'm in Christ. And Christ is in the Father. And the Holy Spirit, the Godhead, the Holy Trinity is wrapping me up. There's nothing I can't face. There's nothing you can't face in that type of circumstance. Yeah, I think Spurgeon was right. For a child of God, the greatest study is the person of God. That's the greatest study you'll ever make. That's the greatest focus you'll ever have. Not just on Sunday morning, but Monday and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and every other day of the week. As you think about His glory and His greatness. Would you pray with me? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Just desiring see his glory we have sang about him being an everlasting God about being a cornerstone about how great is his faithfulness that he's all to us everything and in a moment we're going to sing about how great is our God as a hymn of commitment hymn of invitation I want to say to you this morning, if you're here and not in Christ, if you don't know him, I invite you to Christ today, who according to the promises of God's word, if you come to him and trust in him, he will save you and forgive you and make you new. Promise never changes. The Spirit of God at work in your life, calling you to Christ, showing your need for a Savior, and 
showing you that he is the only Savior, then hear him this morning. Respond by faith where you sit and by confession before men as we sing this hymn. Hear him. Obey him. Father, do your work in our lives according to your will and your unchangeable nature. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?